It's funny. So um, I had asked Eric to teach, um, I don't know, it was like a, like a month prior, at least. And um, so, you know, just, uh, just, I know Eric can teach well, and so I just wanted to give him an opportunity to teach. And so I, I asked him to teach, and he, you know, said yes. So it was all set up. <clears throat> I was actually planning on being here. I wasn't planning on skipping out. And uh, it just so happens that I got sick um, starting, what, Sunday night, going into Monday and Tuesday, and I was just feeling really horrible. And so it, um, it's amazing what the Lord knows, isn't it? <laughs> it it's like uh, he had it set up like a month prior to, you know, pr- prior to that day. And um, so it all worked out. So you were in good hands. It, it, uh, it truly, it, it, it does not cease to amaze me how it is that the Lord works things out. So anyway, we're here this evening. We're going we're gonna, to um, finish up Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 5, part 2. We're going through the Ten Commandments is what we're doing. And um, so we'll uh, pray, ask the Lord to bless our time, and then we'll go, go straight into our text. So, Father, we uh, come to you this evening, Lord, again, just, uh, just desiring to hear from you, asking that you would open up our eyes to see what you would have us to see, to hear things that you would have us to hear. And I pray, Lord, that these truths, Lord, your word does not fall on deaf ears. I, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, as you speak to us, Father, um, fill us with your spirit and help us to move and to uh, be sanctified by your word, to be... Um, strengthened and, uh, and refined and purified by your word, built up, Father. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands, Father. We, we just are so thankful for your word. This is a time of communion, of uh, a fellowship with you, but it's also a time of being refreshed and being fed by your word. And so, Lord, let us take in, Lord, in abundance, Father, as you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, we went through the first four uh, commandments, and uh, this evening we start off in the fifth commandments, commandment, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. So let's go back, though. We'll start out uh, with, the, with uh, chapter uh, 5 and then uh, verse 1, and then we'll, we'll read up to the fifth commandment. So Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. Out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, And the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 7 First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment, and we go on to the fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And finally, the fifth commandment in verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So we come to the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Um, Let's talk uh, about what it is that the Lord is doing. He's preparing the children of Israel to go into the promised land. And he wanted, uh, in his perfect knowledge, to give them everything so that they would be successful in doing so. One of the things that the Lord desired is that they would be um, socially stable, that they would be solid And we know that general instability will eventually erode the foundation of any society. That is, if the younger generations are at odds with the older generations and vice versa, it's only a matter of time before the foundations of society crumble, they come down. This ends up being a social, basically a social implosion. And the consequence of deliberate negligence, disrespect, and a lack of desire for the wisdom and teaching that comes from the older generation will eventually eat away at the foundation of society. So the observance of this law is very critical to the stability, the growth, and the overall health of a people, of a society. Now, what the Lord did with this commandment is he gave a promise along with this commandment. This came with a promise that as they entered into the promised land, whereas they knew very well that the violation of this commandment uh, would result in a short-lived life. Uh, You need not look so far as to the previous generation. It only took 40 years for the previous generation for those adults who rebelled against the Lord to be completely wiped out. So it's not like they needed a a, maybe an illustration outside of Um, their own people. Their own people provided the illustration that God needed to make a huge impact on those who were hearing this commandment being given. Um, So rebellion, we know, is costly for the previous generation. And it's interesting that this coming Sunday, we'll be covering Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Part of it will be verses 3 through 6, where the Pharisees observed this particular commandment in, in a very religious and legally binding way. In fact, Jesus was very clear they observed it in the wrong way. And in fact, this provoked the rebuke of Jesus Christ, even calling them hypocrites. 
They were violating the spirit of the law in the way they were thinking, in the way they were observing it, in the way they were requiring others um, to observe this law. Now, children can do all the right things, but if their hearts are far from desiring to honor their parents, then no amount of work will justify the works as being honoring to their parents. It simply means to, uh, for them, uh, that all they desire is to just stay out of trouble. You know, have you ever followed um, rules and regulations and, and you look at them as just being burdensome and, and you think, you know what, I just want to stay out of trouble. I just want to keep the law, so to speak, so that I, I, I won't get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. But it's not because there's any good spiritual integrity within you. It's just because you don't want to get in trouble. I'm reminded of the story of um, this little girl, and um, I, I've said it in the past and how it is that this little girl was driving um, with her father, and she was in the back seat, and, and uh, to the father's alarm, um, he looked in the rearview mirror and sees his daughter standing in the back seat. And so, you know, he, he looks back and says, please sit down, and crosses her arms, and she doesn't. So he continues to drive, and then he tells her again, sit down, now. She doesn't. Well, <clears throat> the father's really getting upset about this, and, and finally he says, if you don't sit down, I'm going to pull this car over, and I'm going to make you sit down. You're going to sit down. And she didn't. So as he was pulling over, of course, she sits down. That's kind of how it works, you know. You take it as far as you can, and then when you see that there are consequences, then boom, you, you, you do it. I don't want to get in trouble, right? So she sat down, and very quietly, the, you know, the father uh, got back onto the road and continued on down. And from the back of the seat, he hears this little voice in the back. And she says, Dad, on the outside, I may be sitting down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> Just a rebellious heart, right? She didn't want to get in trouble, but, but in her heart of hearts, she's standing up. And I think that can be how things are sometimes. This is what the Lord was saying. This has to be with integrity, um, with honor, uh, with sincerity, with genuineness of heart. Uh, children are to honor their parents in a sincere manner. The Lord has commanded this so that they may live long. The rebellion of the heart at some point would come out. And it's not just for saying out of trouble. It, it's to, to build the unity and the strength of the family. And it's the same thing, um, you know, in, in any group of people, whether it be at work, it has to be a sincere unity in order for that to be a genuine work and be strong, really. And even within a church, it's not just... You know, uh, sometimes we, we can get into that rut to where we're looking at uh, a leader within the church or leaders or even the pastor. That would be the worst. If, if the pastor would be looked at as uh, a boss, as someone to where I'm just following your rules because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to hear it from you. You know, I just, I don't want to hear it. And so you never want to get into that. You want to have, especially within the body of Christ, a genuineness, a genuine 
um, honor and a respect for those that are in different places of authority, acknowledging that God has ordained that and that you do so out of a, a genuine, genuineness of heart, of a sincerity you know, of honoring the Lord and therefore honoring that person. So parents are to be honored. Um, in fact, um, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the apostle Paul wrote about this relationship between parents and children that honors and blesses the Lord. Um, he writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and so he states it right there. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We know that undisciplined children can basically make a home chaotic. But is there a greater reason? And this is what we have to ask when we come across a commandment as this. Is, is there a greater reason why this is so important as to make it into the top ten commandments? I mean, if we were to just brush over this and take it lightly, then I think we would be dishonoring the Lord, right? So there's a reason why this is number five. This makes it into the top 10 commandments, right? You could say in a way. Of course, they're all important, but these are the top 10, these are the 10 commandments. These, the Lord wrote on tablets of stone. Yes, there is definitely a greater purpose and reason why this is so important. You see, it's a natural inclination for our children to disobey, but we must teach them to obey. If you want to, hey, listen, disobedience and rebellion is in each and every one of our hearts. So you want to leave us to our own devices? Hey, let your children go and see how it goes, right? But what we do is very important. It's critical to them to discipline them, to train them up in the ways of the Lord, to teach them to obey in order that they would learn to be obedient to their parents and honor them so as to teach them to be obedient toward God even when they don't understand everything. Does it make sense? If they genuinely honor and respect their parents and follow their instruction... They are more inclined when they come to their own faith to do the very same thing with God. Do you guys understand everything? Like the situations that you're in, the days that you might have at times, that you can't just make heads or tails out of it. It just doesn't make sense. Seasons that you're going through, trials that you're experiencing. You're like, I don't understand this, God, but I still trust you. I will remain faithful to you. I will be obedient to you. I will be right here. You know what? That's oftentimes taught in the home. It's okay if you don't understand everything. God is still God, and he's on the throne. That's why these commandments, and this one here, is very important. Sometimes as kids, I remember... I don't, I don't understand. Why, why do I have to, especially at, you know, you get into your teenage years and you figure out you know everything, right? And you start explaining to your parents how things go. And then you get a little older and you figure out how stupid you were, you know? And it's like, wow, I should have just like taken in and gleaned a little bit more, <laughs> right? 
It, it, it goes beyond the father and the mother. This fifth commandment was to teach obedience in the home, and therefore that is to go over and impact their relationship with their father who is in heaven when they get older. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, the sixth, sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Um, <clears throat> this, um, there's a difference between murdering and killing. Murder is the taking of life without legal justification. Killing is the taking of a life with legal justification. Killing is the taking of a life after due process. Exodus chapter 19, verse 12 is very clear about that. And justified execution, that is, after due process legal justification. Killing is the taking of life in defense of another or self-defense. So if you are defending someone else whose life is in danger, that is not murder, it is killing. It is stopping that person from committing harm upon another person so much so that, that you even uh, were in fear of that person's life or your own. You are defending yourself. There is moral justification there. In addition to this is the spirit of law in which even if we haven't committed physical murder, because this is very clear, right? Okay, murder, it's with this harmful intent, this evil intent in your heart to cause harm upon someone else taking their lives. That's, that's pretty clear, isn't it? But there's a spirit to the law in which even if we haven't committed physical murder, we can be liable of murder within our hearts. Have you ever wished someone dead? Do you hate someone so much you couldn't care less for them and said they could even go to hell? There could be so much hatred in our hearts that the only reason we don't commit physical murder is because we lack the courage to do so, but our hearts are full of murder in hatred and anger and bitterness towards someone else. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus speaking, he said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 9, verses 9 to 11, says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's no questions about that, right? There, there, there's, no, there's no gray area, but you don't know the situation. It's very, it's very clear, right? Jesus said it. We are to hate, have this, that type of hatred toward no one. That's a sin in our own hearts. The apostle John, he says, hey, if you continue to hate your brother and say you're in the light, it doesn't matter if you say you're in the light. It really doesn't matter what you claim or proclaim. You're walk, walking in the darkness. And the reason why you don't know this is because the darkness has blinded you. I want to say that with emphasis because Unfortunately, there are brothers and sisters in Christ 
who just insist in being so angry towards someone else and having a hatred toward another person, and they make every attempt to justify it. You can't justify it. The, the, the moment this comes to the surface and God points it out as he's done just right now, we are to repent. We're to repent and be reconciled. We may be able to deny any anger or hatred for a brother or sister in the Lord or anyone else to others around us, but remember that God knows the hearts. He knows our hearts. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we realize this and believe it, then we can repent of it and ask God to forgive us and give us the courage and ability by his spirit to give that hatred and that anger uh, up to God and ask God to give us a heart like his. He wishes that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. We must pray that he gives us the ability to pray for that person or persons, people, with genuine love, with a petition for God to apply grace and love for that person and to that person. But it first starts with you. The moment it comes to your attention, this is to be dealt with and given over to the Lord. And I tell you, it'll be a burden that's taken off of you. It's given to the Lord and, and you kind of just shift. Uh, your, your perspective is completely different. You begin to pray and seek the Lord and ask the Lord to change hearts. And he's in the business of changing hearts. He wants to restore and reconcile relationships, first and foremost with him, secondly with others around us. Too many people have health, social, and relational problems because they won't let go of bitterness. They won't let go of resentment and the anger that they have towards others. God says, don't be angry toward others, don't insult others, and don't condemn others. That's not our place. Pray for them and love them as God loves them. Demonstrate a love that goes beyond the quote-unquote reasonable and is truly an agape love. It's, it's self-sacrificing. We put ourselves blast and we put God first. God desires you to possess his heart and that he would possess your heart. It isn't so with anger abiding in your heart. It can't be. You, just can't. It's, you have that overwhelming you and possessing you. So that's an important commandment, the sixth commandment. Here we have the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is, and you shall not commit Adultery. So, uh, just in case we don't know what adultery is, it's the giving of ourselves as someone outside of marriage, physically, emotionally, and relationally. Physical intimacy with someone other than your spouse, that's adultery, and that's very um, clear, right? It's something that, okay, that, that is definitely adultery. There's, there's no justification, by the way, for committing this sinful act. Not even if your spouse 
doesn't pay attention to you, is abusive. You say you don't love each other anymore. I've, I've, I'm just, I've just fallen out of love with my spouse. I just, that's it. I don't love him or her anymore. Uh, maybe you believe. You just, you're deceived and you believe that God actually led you to someone else. And, and many, many other reasons. I, I've heard so many reasons as to uh, ways in which we can justify um, this sinful act. But there is nothing that would justify committing adultery because it's staying true first and foremost to the Lord in your relationship with your spouse. Um, I did mention abuse because even that does not justify um, adultery. It, it doesn't at all. There is are situations where you go your different ways and you may even divorce, um, but there is no justification for you yourself committing adultery. Adultery is clearly condemned by the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, Galatians 5.19 and also Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, in fact, Galatians 5.19 refers to it as a work of the flesh. It's, uh, there's these clear warnings. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a pretty clear warning, right? Start out right from the beginning, sexual immorality. Please, you can jot down these verses and you can even go back. Some of these that are listed in these few verses um, would, would alarm people who don't realize like, what it is, some of these things that come from the depths of our heart, that come out, that are works of the flesh. I mean, sensuality, where, where does that come from? And what is it? Idolatry, sorcery, there, there's so many different things here. But one of the very first things in this list is sexual immorality. Do you have a lust towards someone other than your spouse? Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28 says, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is, now, this is not speaking of a glance. Um, a glance... Um, an acknowledgement that uh, a man is handsome or a woman is beautiful. That's not what this is speaking of, okay? What this is speaking of is a longing for, a lustful look towards someone other than your spouse. It's the intent. It's, it's something that as one looks upon someone else, the only thing that's, uh, that's avoiding that act of adultery to take place is lack of opportunity, and that's it. What is allowed to simmer in the heart will consume their soul and drive them to that other person. There's a separation from your spouse emotionally and then physically as a heart is being given to someone else, to someone else whom it doesn't belong to. And I, you see the pattern. Um, you see this uh, separation emotionally from um, the spouse, and, and then you see this person 
uh, becoming more friendly with others around them, someone who pays attention to them, uh, affirms them, and begins to, to um, just give them encouraging words. Uh, the person is drawn to this other, other person, and, and it's just, it's a pattern that, and it's a deception that is just, I mean, it's like a telegraph punch. You see it coming. And many times um, you turn your eye away from wanting to see it at first, but after a while, people around you see it. Adultery doesn't happen overnight. Adultery is something that has taken place in the heart way before it happens physically. This also is a picture of infidelity that should not be a part of a person who professes to love God. Ultimately, this infidelity practiced within a marriage is an infidelity toward God. Just as King David confessed when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, when he came to realize it and it was brought to his attention, this is you, you're the man, when Nathan had put it before him. He said that he had sinned against God and God alone. Not that he hadn't sinned against Uriah, not that he hadn't sinned against Bathsheba, but first and foremost, this infidelity was a result with this person of the infidelity that he had toward the Lord. Murder, anger, and adultery is a heart that is far from God, even in the spirit of it. The thoughts and intents of the heart is what God says to repent of, and surrender those things to God before they consume you. So that's the seventh commandment. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Um, don't take something that belongs to someone else, right? Stealing is um, something very simple. We can steal in many ways, though, not just shoplifting, embezzlement, fraud, larceny, um, but it's also time, taking time from that which we owe to someone else could be our employer. Objects um, is something as simple as uh, paper, uh, paper clips, folders, pens, all, all kinds of things that we can steal. But we're stealing. They're not ours. They belong to someone else. Maybe even money, not paying someone back. Um, you've borrowed some money, pay it, pay it back. Have some integrity. Pay it back. Otherwise, you're stealing. All you did was you, you respectfully stole from them. Can I borrow a dollar without having any intention of paying them back? You should, you should pay them back. Pay them back. You were in a bind. You were helped out. Well, now that you have the money, it's like, well, I have the money, so I, don't, I, don't want, I want to keep it. No, pay it back. Pay it back. That's, that's the right thing to do. A person can also steal from God. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 says, Will man rob God? And that's the question that, that, uh, that was asked. Yet, you are robbing me, is what the Lord was saying. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord answers, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open, open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, some people, what's a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. Ten percent is what it is. Now, 
Like in the morning when uh, we pray for the morning tithes and offerings, we, we, also, we also need to pray for, for wisdom and discernment on how to be good stewards of whatever it is that the Lord has entrusted to the church. Please always pray for that. Always pray for that for the leadership of this church to have wisdom and discernment on how best to use those funds. But the tithes is one thing. That's where we start. The offering is that which is above and beyond the tithe, whatever it is. I mean, uh, some people will ask, well, uh, what if I want to give towards um, another ministry or towards the missions or anything else? And the, the question is asked, um, can, I, can I put my, my, my tithe toward that? And I would say, as any other pastor would say, I know David Rosales, he's been asked this question. In fact, uh, we just went over it uh, a couple months ago, and um, he says the same thing. It's a support and tithe to your church. And allow the Lord to, to use that, those funds, in ways to where the body can grow and develop and mature and, and be strengthened. Above that, if you wish, if you desire to give towards some other ministry, uh, even within the church specifically, then that is considered an offering. But how much belongs, see, the question is, how much belongs to God? How much belongs to God? All of it. It's 100%, right? Because he gave us the means by which we earn he gave us the health. He gave us uh, the job, the work uh, to provide the means by which we can, you know, keep the lights on and keep, have our homes and raise our children and do all the things that we do. So it's really 100%. Are we owners or are we stewards? In God's economy, we are stewards of the funds that he has entrusted to us. That's the mindset that we should have. Oftentimes we look at churches and they start talking about money and finances and all these things and we're like, oh, here they go. They're going to start asking for money. Like, no, you know what? Let me tell you something. God does not need your money. He, he is not short. He's, he's not one that will, will beg. You will never find me begging. If it's not in your heart to give, don't give for God loves a cheerful giver. Keep it. Just keep it. God will provide. He certainly has shown himself faithful in that area over and for those of you that have been with us from the very beginning, over and over again, he's just faithful. He provides everything that is necessary to do his work. But when you give, when you participate, you're participating in the blessings of what God is doing within that ministry. So, what the Lord was telling, and the Lord was very clear in Malachi, that, hey, listen, you can steal, and you can steal from me, and that's what you're doing by holding back. Hey, listen, test me. In this, this is the one place where he, he tells them, test me. Go ahead, test me, and I will continue to provide for you. I will bless you. So it's a matter of the heart. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, um, it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone 
in need. Um, this whole work of getting someone on the right track after they've stole. This is it here. This is, this is the answer. Steal no longer, number one. Stop stealing. Number two, work, labor, so that you may have something to share with other people, so you can give to other people, so you can bless others. The cure to stealing is earning rightly by working and being able and willing to give to anyone in need. A Christ follower is not to, not to be a taker, but a giver of himself and a steward of what God has entrusted him with to be used to God's glory. So we need to stop taking only and understand that it's a stewardship that we have been entrusted with, uh, whatever it is that we have, and start giving. Now, the ninth commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. To bear false witness against your neighbor is a sin that causes a living death in someone else. A false statement made against someone else damages a person's reputation. Alan Redpath said, quote, Slander is a lie invented and spread with intent to do harm. That is the worst form of injury a person can do to another. Compared to one who does this, a gangster is a gentleman and a murderer is kind because he ends life in a moment with a stroke and with little pain. But the man guilty of slander ruins a reputation which may never be regained and causes lifelong suffering. Close quote. <clears throat> Bearing false witness. Saying something false about someone behind their back, backbiting. Saying something unsubstantiated about someone that isn't true. Even if you believe the claim is true, if there was no due diligence on your part, then you may be guilty of slander, of, of breaking this sin, of bearing false witness. We need to be very clear. Not speaking the truth also about someone that is being slandered is being guilty of knowing to do the right thing and not doing it. It's not like knowing, knowing what is true. And you hear other people talking. You're like, ah, I don't want to get into that, you know. And you're like, but I know that what they're saying is not true about this person. You actually become a, a silent accomplice <laughs> to what they're saying. You need to speak up, hey, listen, that's not true about Joe. You know, he, he actually didn't do that. that. That's not the way it went down. You know, you can, you can tell them. <clears throat> speak up when you need to. But we also, you know, in that, we, we need to be careful not to slander someone else in a, in a fit of anger. We become angry towards someone else. We can say things that we can never take back especially when it's another brother or sister in the Lord. Remember that, the, that, that Satan is the father of lies and you're doing his bidding when you participate in bearing fault, false witness against another, lying about someone else and spreading rumors. Uh, James chapter 3. I want to read this. James chapter 3, verse 2. <coughs> it says this. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, those, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James is making the point that out of the same tongue, out of the same mouth, shouldn't come curses and blessings. Should be pure and our speech should be wholesome and pure. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37 says this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our, our words are very powerful. They're very powerful. We need to be very careful, um, reserved even, and just mindful of what comes out of our mouths. I love what, um, again, just referring to Pastor David Rosales, because um, he was uh, he's talking about just uh, even things that, are, that have happened around him. He says, uh, only speak about someone as if they are in the room with you and you will be more likely to avoid getting into trouble with what you say. You're less likely to get in trouble. You can still get in trouble, right? But there's something about considering that person's presence before you when you speak. You, you speak with a, a greater respect and, and uh, you're more guarded you choose your words a little bit better when you think about what if that person was in our presence? How would you say that? So we need to be very clear. We can't be slandering other people. We cannot bear false witness against our neighbor. And who's our, who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is, is anyone, right? Anyone and everyone. Those we come, who we know, who we come in contact with, everyone is our neighbor. Be careful, don't say things about people that are false. In the 10th commandment, this is the last commandment, you shall not covet, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So <clears throat> just having a forward-looking um, uh, stance on this, I know we don't have, um, do you guys have an ox? 
Does, maybe your neighbor does. You, if you live in Norco, you might have a neighbor that has an ox or a donkey, right? Um, but that's not the point, right? It's not the, the, the animal. It's don't, don't covet your neighbor's anything. And that's covered here, by the way. Um, he said, uh, or, or anything that is your neighbor's. If you want to split hairs, then go beyond those things. A male, female servant, wife, husband, uh, or anything that your neighbor has. To covet is to desire to take what belongs to someone else for oneself. It speaks of a heart that lusts after something that belongs to someone else. Do not do it, whether it's another person's spouse, their home, possessions, lifestyle, career, finances, family, or anything else. Really simply said, to do so is to be discontent in what you have been given, what you have in your possession at the time, even if it's nothing but the Lord. It's a heart that is discontent. No matter what, God is to be your most prized possession, and there is no want to one who has the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about, that's a beautiful home. That's a beautiful family. That's a beautiful marriage. It's not coveting that person's spouse, but it's desiring. I want something like that. That, that is desirable. That's, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. And, and I just want to use you as an example of the marriage I want to have. I'm not talking about that. That's not coveting your neighbor's anything. That, that's desiring something that should be desirable. To appreciate your neighbor's Lamborghini, that, that's okay. Ferrari, I may covet the Ferrari. But, but no, it's, you know, of course you don't covet, but that's not what I'm talking about, you know, as far as appreciating those things. But it's to really covet, to desire, to have those things that belong to someone else. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He had plenty, he had nothing. He was cold, he was hot, he was hungry. You know, he, he, he experienced so much. And he learned that in whatever situation he was in, to just to be content. It's okay. You see, to covet is to be discontent. We must learn, as Paul did, to be content with God. For with him we possess all the riches of heaven. One day we will be in all of his glory. All of this, everything, even, even if we had everything, it wouldn't compare to the riches that await us in heaven. It, it just, it does not. It's incomparable. Let's go on. To kind of wrap up here, uh, verses 22 through 27 is Israel, Israel's response to the Lord. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tab tablets of stone and gave them to me, that is Moses. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountains uh, mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man 
still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. Now, this, this gives us a little bit more detail. We've gone through this, by the way, okay? And we've, we've broken it down uh, very well. This gives us a little bit more detail here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But, but this is an awesome and fearful scene that we have. And Moses is reminding them of what they experienced back at Mount Sinai, how they responded, what they experienced, everything. He's reminding them all, of all of this. The people heard a voice from the darkness and they saw the mountain burning with fire and they feared that the great fire would consume them, but they spoke quickly. They spoke very quickly without any consideration of the righteousness of the law and their inadequacies as sinful people. Quickly, they were like, hey, listen, Moses, you speak to God, you hear from him, you come, you speak to us. And, and, and as we hear everything that the Lord has spoken to you and you're speaking to us, we will hear it and do it. Just you go, because we don't want to die. But the fact of the matter is, is even with this awesome scene and this amazing situation, they actually spoke from a sincere heart. And God knew. We won't go through the details of that. We can go back to previous studies and, and go through that. But this, this is what, what it was coming up because again I remind you this is Deuteronomy is the second law the second proclamation of the law he's remember, he's reminding and preparing the children of Israel to enter into the promised land that's, that's what he's doing so he's reminding them of the response what they said and what will help them to be well prepared for entering into the promised land promised land so the Lord's response to that is what we see in this final portion of this chapter uh, verse 28, and the, Lord, and the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So God tells Moses, they are right in all that they have spoken. But then God made a statement of desire for them and where their hearts were at the time they made that statement. He says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Moses was told to go back to tell them and, and tell them, you know, go back to your homes. But then 
God told Moses, but you come, stand next to me, and I'm going to speak to you about all these rules and statutes, these commandments, to teach them, that it would serve them, that it would govern them as they entered into the promised land. What a beautiful picture. You see this heart of God toward the people. He knew their hearts, and they knew at the moment that they, they made this proclamation that, that they had done it in a sincere and genuine manner. They were, they were true in their hearts. And, and God, this is his desire for us today. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. Always. That's his desire for us. To fear God, to keep his commandments, that it might go well with us and also for our children forever. That's God's heart towards us. And then God instructed Moses to pass this along to the Israelites, God's people. In verses 32 and 33, we read that. So that they would be careful to do as the Lord. Their God has commanded them. They won't turn aside, not to the right hand or to the left. They should take that path. That the law itself would serve as guardrails as guardrails, uh, to serve as a schoolmaster, to take care of them. The Lord was giving them the law to take care of them, to govern them, to lead them rightly before him. That's, that's what the law was given to them for, to guide them in righteousness. He didn't leave them in the dark. He made it very clear how it is that they were to be blessed. In closing, this is what God desires for us as we have the word of God before us. It is that we would live his word, not for salvation, but because we possess salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we, in a way, we prove, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Before the Lord, by living in obedience to his word, to his glory, and to our benefit and blessing. There is a liberty and a freedom in living a life for God with righteous integrity by his spirit. A clear conscience before God is more precious than all the earthly treasure that can be accumulated and more secure than any amount of money that we could store up. God is interested in seeing us live lives of spiritual integrity, that it might go well with us. That's what he desires of us, that it might go well for you, my people. That is what he desired then, and that is what he desires now. All to his glory, that his people may be blessed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for allowing us to see that beautiful heart of yours toward your people. Lord, we know that you've demonstrated that love in the most amazing way through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the the ability by being saved by grace, by your grace, simply by believing, by having faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we would be reconciled up to you. And that in so doing, we would respond with our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, that we demonstrate in, with, with integrity and genuineness of heart 
the love that we have for you by obeying your commandments. Not because it's out of duty, but because we simply love you. That we would truly be living sacrifices unto God, the creator of the universe, who considered man so much so that you made it possible to be restored unto you through the sacrifice of your son. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We just praise you. We love you. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us and direct us. Remind us of your word. And may we walk according to the spirit that we may not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Father. Help us, we cry. In Jesus' name, amen.